Thank you, Beth. All right, we're going to start with a prophetic act. So take out your phones. Pull it out. I know you have one, so pull it out. If you don't, praise God. (laughs) All right, unless you have a legitimate medical reason, turn it off. Shut it down. All right, everybody got it? If you, if you have a, a situation going on in your life where you need it on, that's fine. Keep it on. Otherwise, shut it down. All right. Seth, you got the Prezi up? This morning we are continuing. Thank you, buddy. Uh, we're continuing in our Advent theme of glory to the newborn king. Everybody say it with me. Glory to the newborn king. Think about the paradox of that statement. Glory, kingship, power, dominion to a newborn. That's what we're reflecting on each week in Advent this year. Glory to a newborn. The first week of Advent, two weeks ago, Mike Morby led us in a reflection on the glory of the baby Jesus, greater than the universe, greater than the angels of heaven. Last week, we looked at Jesus already at the time of his birth, greater than the prophets. This week, I was going to teach on Jesus being greater than Moses, the lawgiver, and then uh, in my own life, I'm working through some stuff, reading some stuff. And I felt the Lord call an audible on me and say, that's not what I have planned for this Sunday. And so then I said, okay, what do you have planned for this Sunday? What I sensed from him was uh, I I, I sensed in my spirit the Lord saying, my son is greater than the noise. He's greater than the noise. And so what we're doing this morning is we're going to be reflecting on Jesus, the newborn king, who's a child worth being quiet for. Jesus is worth being quiet for. Who here likes Dr. Seuss? All right, anybody watched The Grinch or read The Grinch yet this year? Yeah, any hands? Yeah, you have some? Okay. So, you know, at the beginning of the cartoon and the story, When the Grinch is going through his list of things he hates about the Christmas season, what does it culminate in him saying? All that noise, 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 noise. Now, I am not advocating for a Grinchy response to this Christmas season. None of you are allowed to be Grinches and go steal presents from little children and whatnot. However... I think if we're all honest and we're thinking about the craziness of our lives, the noise particularly of our lives, there's a part of us that can really relate to this frustration and pain at all the noise, the noise, endless noise. It's the most noisiest time of the year. Almost everything in the modern world is built to distract us. We are being put to sleep by distraction after distraction after distraction. Everything about our society, consumerism, those who, those who are <laughs> gatekeepers of culture, 
are financially interested in us being constantly and always distracted. We are distracted by screens, social media, 24-hour news cycles, partisan politics, endless hurry and rushing, shopping, various addictions, and on and on. All of this distraction pulls us away from the present. If you're distracted, can you be present? No. It's a pretty simple statement, but there's truth in it. If you are distracted, you cannot be present. So if you are distracted and living a distracted life, can you be present with God? All of this distraction pulls us away from the present. All of this noise pulls us away from the still, small, quiet, and patient voice of God. When is the last time you sat in complete silence, attentive to God's loving presence for 10 minutes? No phone, no music, not even, not even scripture, just quiet. No reading, just quiet before God. How about five minutes? How about two minutes? Can you even tolerate it anymore? I'm serious. Do you have the internal strength to tolerate quiet without reaching for something? I have a hard time with it. What do we do when we get in line at the grocery store? can't even stand in line anymore at Starbucks without reaching for our phones. It's endless, endless, endless. <laughs> Dave says, I don't. Good on you, Dave. For those of us who are younger and foolish, it's becoming more and more difficult. We're losing to goldfish. Look at your neighbor and say, we're losing to goldfish. The average attention span for the notoriously ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds. But according to a new study from Microsoft Corporation, people now generally lose concentration after eight seconds, highlighting the effects of an increasingly digitalized lifestyle on the brain. Researchers in Canada surveyed 2,000 participants and studied the brain activity of 112 others using, I'm not gonna try to that, EEGs, Microsoft found that since the year 2000, or about when the mobile revolution began, the mobile revolution really began in 2007 with the advent of the uh, smartphone, the first iPhone released in 2007. But the average attention span dropped from 12 seconds to eight seconds. Uh, this was written in 2015, so I guarantee over the last four years that it has not gotten better. Uh, this is uh, from Kevin McSpadden, and you now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish from Time Magazine. In the Screwtape Letters, which is C.S. Lewis's uh, famous uh, book on uh, the demonic activity in our lives, it's a, it's a parable of two demons, and it's the letters that the older demon who's writing to his young mentee. Um, I know that sounds weird. If you haven't read it, read it. It's phenomenal, C.S. Lewis book. But in the screw tape letter, C.S. Lewis labels the domain of Satan the kingdom of noise. That is what he equates hell with, noise. 
Screwtape, the senior demon, writes that their demonic end goal, the whole point of demonic activity, is to make the whole universe a noise in the end. In other words, the whole goal of the satanic is to make the world nothing but noise. Because when there's nothing but noise, you cannot hear the voice of God, let alone yourself. When was this written? Who knows? When did C.S. Lewis write screw tape letters? 50s? I don't know the exact year. It was published sometime in the 50s. Do you think the world is noisier or about the same as in the 1950s at this point? It's gotten nothing but noisier. In the famous story after Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal and then uh, Jezebel said she was going to kill him, he ran out and he said, I'm going to die. I want to die, God. I'm alone. And God met him in the wilderness and he sent him to Mount Sinai. When Elijah climbed the mountain of God, there's a series of events that happened. You know this story, I'm sure. First, there was a windstorm, and the windstorm was so loud uh, that it shook the mountain. Um, But God was not in the windstorm. And then there was an earthquake that shook the mountain from its roots, again, noisy and loud, and God was not found in the earthquake. Then there was a fire that burned the mountain as Elijah (laughs) hid himself in a cave. Again, God was not in the fire. What was God found in? It says, and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The voice of God, not in the windstorm or the earthquake or the fire, but in a gentle whisper. So this morning, as we continue the theme of glory to the newborn king, we're, we're going to be thinking about what it means to be quiet, to listen to Jesus. So I have a present for you, a Christmas present, a gift for you, and a gift for me. Silence. For many of you, it might not feel like a gift, because when you sit in the quiet, what do you hear? All your anxious thoughts, all your self-hatred, all the things you have to do, all the things you think people are thinking about you, all the worry that you have for your children, all the burdens of your life come crashing in on you. And it is so easy when you're in that moment. It's so tempting to then reach for this again because that feels like hell to listen to that and be in that place. But to get to the place where we can hear God's voice, we have to journey through that. There is no way to reach the still, small voice of God without first going through the loud, screaming voice of our own soul. So my gift is silence. Before uh, we go into, we're going to have two times of silence this morning. I'll start with two minutes to build your tolerance. And then at the end of the sermon, we'll, we'll end with a time of silence before we close our service. Before going into our first one, I'm going to read from Psalm 46. Now think about it in the context of all this stuff I've just been talking about. Think about it as we read this in the context of listening to God in the midst of noise. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very 
present help in trouble. What does distraction do to us? Causes us to not be present. God is a very present help in trouble. Not a little, very. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. I, I kind of think, I don't, know, I don't know what the tradition is around Psalm 46, but I imagine the psalmist thinking about the story of Elijah on the mountain when he's writing this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See those three lines in verse 10 are in quotation marks and the others aren't. The idea here is that the psalmist is reflecting, but here God's voice breaks through. And when he says, be still and know that I am God, the reason that we're able to be still and know that he is God is because he will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So my gift for you and me is silence. So for two minutes, be quiet and ask God to speak. Meditate on these verses. Good job. Just had a whole bunch of people sit quietly in a room together. That is a rare occurrence. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2, continuing in this theme and thinking about it in the life of Jesus. So as we read, I want to invite you to ask and see how is the glory of Jesus revealed? And when meditating on the advent, the birth of Christ, can be asking these questions. How is God exalted among the nations? And how is God exalted in the earth? Like we saw in Psalm 46. And how does...
quietness and listening play into this story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Was there electricity? Were there cell phones? Was there a radio to listen to? So what's it like? (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Maybe some crickets. Maybe some nighttime birds. It's quiet. They're in, out in the field with their sheep. Maybe some of the shepherds are even sleeping. Some are keeping watch. It's quiet. Last week we had our... um, our children's uh, pageant, which was really fun. And I think they call it, what was the title of it? A not-so-quiet, or not-so-silent night. Um, And I I loved what they did with it. But I actually wanted to highlight the opposite of that because it was quiet. And I think that's why they could hear God, because it was so quiet. So these shepherds just sitting in the quiet, Maybe meditating, maybe not. Maybe just trying to stay awake. Out of this silence. Out of this quiet. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it wasn't so quiet then. The angels come and they start proclaiming the glory of God. But it was out of the silence, out of the quiet, out of the waiting and sitting in the darkness. That then the message of God breaks through. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All right, key point, key verse here. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. How do you treasure and ponder? Quietly? Yeah. (laughs) Do you do it quickly? Do you treasure something quickly? No. If you treasure something, that that means it's like a long-term thing. You treasure a relationship that you've had throughout your life. You don't treasure someone that you met in Walmart rushing through, right? Oh, man, I treasure that experience. When I bumped into that woman, she spilled her milk on me. Like, it's not something we treasure. We treasure long, slow, patient. Mary, slowly, quietly, meditating on these things, ponders them and treasures them up. An invitation to us, I think, would be to do the same thing. Just as Mary treasured these things and pondered them, you and I can do the same thing. Like, that's, that's what we can do about the story of Jesus. We can treasure all of the things said about our Messiah, our Christ, our Lord. We can treasure them up and ponder them. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The other thing that I guarantee you happened, because I've had four kids, and when you're in the hospital with a newborn baby, I don't care who the person is, what happens to their voice when they walk into the room with the newborn? Oh my goodness. So cute. Right? The shepherds running in in their haste and all the excitement, then they encounter Jesus, and all of a sudden, Let's do that with God. Ponder him. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He is a God worth being quiet for. One thing we see from Jesus when he grew was that he made a habit of getting away to be alone in the quiet with God. I love what Luke says in Luke chapter 5. This is in one of the busiest moments of Jesus' ministry. He's like exploding in popularity. And if that would happen, you know, today in a church, we'd do everything we could to capitalize that momentum. More events, more outreaches, more noise, more flyers to send out. We need to capitalize on this fact that there's momentum. But what does Jesus do? The exact opposite. (laughs) Despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. No noise. No activity to hear God's voice. If the Son of Man, the Son of God, God's incarnate child, has to get away from the noise in order to focus on God's voice, 
who are you and I? <laughs> like, how, how do we have any hope if we're not doing the same thing that our rabbi has taught us? To get away, to listen to his voice. We have a God who's worth being quiet for. So my question is, are you listening? Are you withdrawing from the noise to a quiet place for prayer? I get it. It's not easy. We're so busy. A recent study showed that the three most busy uh, professions in American culture are lawyers, doctors, and pastors. I get it. There is an endless list of people to talk to and care for and call and email and text and visit and sermons to write and Sunday school classes to teach and on and on and on it goes for all of us. But none of that matters if I am not alone in the quiet place with God. Are you withdrawing from the noise to a quiet place for prayer? I wanted to practice what I preached and not be a total hypocrite. So yesterday afternoon, um, right now I have all four of my kids. This weekend, Julie uh, went to St. Louis to visit her, uh, her stepdad who's been really sick. And so I have all four children right now. And uh, it's not quiet in my house. Um, but it's awesome. My favorite thing in the world is to be with my kids. But I had some help, which was awesome. Some friends offered to uh, have the older two over, so I sent them over. And the younger two, uh, by gift of God, took a really nice nap uh, yesterday afternoon. So I had this space, and I just sat in my windowsill. I have this, we have this little window uh, that you can sit in with a cushion on it in our dining room. And like facing the woods, and it was raining, and I was just watching the rain, just being quiet. And as I was sitting, uh, being quiet, um, a poem came to me that I'm going to read for you now. Is that all right? It doesn't rhyme. It's not that kind of, not, not that kind of poem. I'm going to let this lead us into our second time of quiet before the Lord. And, uh, and then I'm not going to get back up till the end of this service. Paul will come up at, at the end of that five minutes. I'll wink at you, and you can know it's time. <coughs> this poem is called Three Miles an Hour, which is the pace that a person walks, if they're taking their time, walking slowly. My soul was left behind in some distant, forgotten place. I dropped it because I needed the extra hand to pick up something else, like something vitally important. That's probably what happened. I needed to pick up something really important. I needed the extra hand to answer that email, text, call, tweet, post, blog, article thing. But now I can't find my soul. And I can't remember when exactly, or where for that matter, I laid it down. To complicate matters, it's really quite difficult to find a soul. They're so slippery. 
What even is a soul exactly? And how can you find something you're not 100% clear on what it is? But I'm learning that your soul can find you. A soul journeys its way back, but wow, does it happen so slow. A soul can only move three miles an hour. That, incidentally, is the same pace that a person moves when they're walking. And God walks with us. And Jesus walked everywhere. That means Jesus lived his whole life at a pace of about three miles an hour. That is, when he wasn't sitting or sleeping or not moving at all. My grandparents started driving cross-country on highways that allowed for 40 miles an hour, and then 50, and then 60 miles an hour as the decades passed. My parents, ever careful to be under the speed limit, drive the turnpike at 67 miles an hour. You don't want to know how fast I drive when I'm not purposefully slowing down. Each passing generation a little faster, a little faster, but in our case, way faster. Jesus lived his life at three miles an hour, and he carried the weight of the world. I live my life at 80, sometimes 100 miles an hour, and often it's all I can do to carry myself. So if my soul moves at three miles an hour, but my mind and body are pushing triple digits, how can they coexist? They can't. Try finding something as slippery and mysterious as your soul when you're moving along at a clip of 80 miles an hour. It's like losing your wedding ring in your backyard and trying to find it with binoculars from a cross-country flight in the middle of the night. Good luck. But a soul is designed by God with an inner GPS. Our souls have a magnetic pull to come into alignment with our bodies and minds. It's how the creator designed it to work. If you would only sit long enough. If you would wait patiently. If you would listen quietly. If you sit silently. If you, if you practice Sabbath. It's much more likely that your soul will find you if you sit quietly and give it the chance to return. That is far more likely than for you to search frantically for your soul and find yourself successful in that frenetic quest. When you stop and wait, your soul will find your body. And when you give your soul the opportunity to catch up, you will be reintegrated, you will be whole. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So be still. Think about how I'm God. Think about my glory and dominion. Reflect on my nearness to you. Taste and see my goodness. Make no mistake I am chasing after you, says the Lord. Watch out, or you'll miss me. Here I come, three miles an hour.